0: Hello, and welcome to Poll Position, a podcast series from the Hoover Institution covering the 2016 election season. Poll Position is hosted by Hoover Research Fellow Bill Whalen, an expert in U.S. and California politics and elections. Hello, it's Tuesday, September the 13th, and welcome to Poll Position, the Hoover Institution's ongoing look at the 2016 election, now just 56 days away. I'm Bill Whalen, a Hoover Research Fellow. Joining me today, Doug Rivers, Hoover Institution Senior Fellow, Stanford University Political Scientist and Chief Scientist at YouGov, the Palo Alto-based internet polling firm that is tracking key races nationwide in this election cycle. And Doug, as this is poll position and you are a pollster, we're going to talk about surprise polls. And let's begin by reading a quote from a pollster, and let's see if you can name the pollster. Quote, we were wrong. We couldn't have been more wrong. We're going to find out why. (laughs) I'll give you a hint. The year was 1948. Do you want to guess the pollster? Uh,
1: I guess that has to be George Gallup.
0: Wrong. You have three guesses.
1: Elmo Roper. (laughs)
0: Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Doug Rivers knows his political history. So in the 1940 election, folks, there were basically three pollsters in America who drove American polling. And they were George Gallup, Elmo Roper, and a fellow named Archibald Crossley. And in 1948, they had considerable egg on their face. The election results in 1948, Harry Truman was the winner with 49.6% of the vote. Tom Dewey uh, finished with 45.1%, so a difference of 4.5%. Gallup had Dewey winning by five points. Crossley had Dewey winning by five points. Elmo Roper, who wrote those words we just read, had Dewey winning by 15 points. So Gallup was off by almost 10, Crossley by almost 10, and Roper by the better part of 20 points. Not good, not good. So a lot of things, as you dig deeper into 1948, you find out there are a lot of problems with the institution of polling. Um, Polling, modern polling, and correct me if I'm wrong, Doug, but a lot of modern polling had cut its teeth really on FDR.
1: Well, the birth of polling, Uh, as we know it uh, was in the 1930s um, uh, and in particular in the 1936 election. Uh, before that, um, the closest thing to a national poll was the Literary Digest poll uh, where they sent out millions of postcards to people in the Literary Digest, which is sort of a precursor to Reader's Digest. Mm-hmm. And they had a good record in the 1920s of uh, predicting the outcomes of elections. Right. And in 1936, they had Alf Landon beating FDR, and George Gallup, who was a a young guy at that point, um, said that he had scientific polling methods, and he predicted FDR would win, Mm -hmm. um, and he won, and that was pretty much the end of the Literary Digest. It died a few years thereafter. Right. Um, And the methodology they were using in that period was something called quota sampling, Mm -hmm. uh, where Uh, Gallup would send his interviewers out with instructions to get the right numbers of men and women and uh, middle class and working class and so forth. Um, Whereas the Literary Digest relied on millions of responses um, but millions of responses from the wrong people will be uh, systematically off.
0: Right. So in 1948 you don't have FDR on the ballot for the first time in a long time so you have a Different electorate in that regard, not having Franklin Roosevelt to, to choose right. at. Also, as I understand it, the pollsters didn't do much in the last two weeks of the election. They cut off early.
1: Yes. So uh, one version was there was a last-minute swing to Truman, mm-hmm. uh, and that explains it. Uh, but the conventional wisdom in the polling world was that it was a, a failure of methodology, quota sampling in particular. Uh, in 1948, a s- um, small group of uh, people at the University of Michigan led by Angus Campbell, uh, who was a, uh, um, I think he actually was a sociologist who would worked at the uh, Department of Agriculture during the Second World War, and they had developed probability sampling methods. They ran a small survey, uh, and they actually had uh, Truman winning, um, whereas uh, the Commercial polls uh, by Gallup and Roper uh, were way off, Um, and uh, after the 1948 election, inquiry was run into what the cause of that was, and there are a variety of explanations, one of which was stopping too soon, but another was not using proper sampling techniques, um, uh, giving interviewers the choice of who to interview. Uh, so if you send an interviewer out uh, and they subjectively choose somebody, they're likely to choose somebody uh, who looks more approachable or whatever. Um, so. Now we're approaching
0: 70 years since 1948. Have presidential pollsters botched an election that badly since?
1: Not a presidential election. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the whole, the presidential election outcomes have been pretty good although Gallup uh, did miss the 2008 election rather badly. Um, the uh, And there have been problems with the exit polls uh, have predicted the wrong outcome. Right. And then primary elections, there have been quite a few misses in primary elections. Um, but in terms of US presidential elections, um, You know, there are races that are really close, and then obviously some pollsters get those wrong in a race like 2000, where, in fact, Al Gore won the popular vote uh, but lost the election. Uh, But on the whole, the mass quantity of polling hasn't been too bad
0: Yes. Thank you for saying mass quantity, because Mm -hmm. that's what I'd like to get into now. So I went on real clear politics last night uh, just to see what the state of the race was. And I think it's in in their four-way average right now. I think she has about a two-point lead. Hillary leads Trump by about two. I counted over the last week, Doug, about eight presidential polls. I counted a handful of polls which deal with Obama's approval rating, Um, a lot of state polls as well, just a dizzying number of Senate and gubernatorial polls as well, there's just a lot of information floating out there right now. Some of it's silly, some of it's serious, and some of it's silly. One of one of my favorite quote-unquote polls, and you're gonna you're gonna not like the idea of the word poll here, but they call it a poll nonetheless. 7-Eleven. America's convenience store, every four years they do what they call a presidential poll. And they put out a series of coffee cups for people to use in the morning. And they put out a red coffee cup if you want to be consider yourself voting Republican, blue if you're a Democrat. Um, they've only done two cups in 2004, 08, and 2012. But in 2016, given the contestants and the mood of the country, they've added a third cup. <laughs> uh, and so they add up the cup consumption close to the election, and they declare that as their poll of presidential preference. Oddly enough, it's rather predictive of what happens. I think they've called the race correctly each time. There also are things you see on TV. I'm not sure what we would call them. Commercials, infomercials, solicitations, ways basically to pick your pocket and get money. But they call themselves a poll. And a favorite one of my is 1-900
1: mine dial-in polls exactly. where the people pay to participate.
0: So let me, let me read to you, Doug, uh, a series of questions asked on one of these. It's asked you to call 800 number and respond to the following question. Let's see if you as a pollster would write these questions. Question one, who, would you think, who do you think should be the next president? Donald Trump, who is, I'm reading this verbatim off the ad. Who do you think should be the next president? Donald Trump, who is not afraid to speak the truth, even if it is not politically correct, or Hillary Clinton, who is a proven, dishonest liar?
1: <laughs> I'm with the liar.
0: Question two. Would you rather elect Donald Trump, who wants to rebuild our military to protect America against terrorism, or Hillary Clinton, who refuses to use the words radical Islamic terrorism? (laughs) And question three, would you rather have a successful businessman to create jobs or a career politician?
1: Um, Yes, so this is uh, polling actually, uh, push polling of a forum, I suppose. Um, If you actually dialed out and uh, did that as a uh, phone call to millions of people, it would be called a push poll, uh, which is illegal in some states. Um, so the point is obviously not to gather data, but to change the views of the people uh, participating in the research. Um, it's interesting, people um, do actually enjoy uh, participating in polls. Uh, and you know what you have here is uh, campaign uh, fundraising and messaging uh, all built into one. Uh, you do have to give Donald Trump credit for his peculiar genius in this area, uh, turning his presidential campaign into a profit-making venture.
0: It's called a genius for making money,
1: right? <laughs> He's better at this than he is at running casinos, I think.
0: I think so. <laughs> so, Doug, all these polls that are coming at you on a site like Real Clear Politics. Let's, let's look at it from your perspective. You and I, let's say you're a car connoisseur and I'm just a car driver, and you and I go to a car lot. And I look at the car, and I'm basically going to come down to two things. Number one, what kind of mileage does it get? Second, I'm in California. How fast does it get me out on the highway? You being a car connoisseur, though, you're going to want to pop the hood. You're going to want to look under the hood and check the engine and learn more about the design, the specs, and so forth. You'd be the same way with poles versus me. I'd look at some cursory things, but you would study the inside of a pole. Take us through how you break down a poll. Somebody sends you a sample and saying, here, Doug Rivers, I've looked at the presidential race, the California Senate race, your local congressional race, here are my results. How do you parse it?
1: Yeah, so at one time, you looked at how the poll was conducted. Uh, So, for example, uh, do they call cell phones? Mm -hmm. Uh, How many callbacks do they have? What percentage of people respond to the poll? Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you have a randomly selected sample Uh, and you have a very high response rate, then the way you've conducted the poll guarantees that you're accurate. Mm -hmm. Those days are largely over. Uh, The polls that you're seeing reported, even the best of them, such as the ones done by Pew Research, uh, are single-digit response rates. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what that means is uh, a lot more goes into making the sausage than uh, just calling people Who are randomly selected. Uh, Every uh, poll, at least every reputable poll, uh, not the 1-900 dial-ins or the coffee cup polls, um, uh, weight the samples uh, uh, to correct for differences in composition of the poll sample to what the population should look like. Uh, It's very controversial what you weight on, but the first thing I look at when I get a a poll is the sample composition. Uh, it's been traditional to weight the samples by demographics. So, uh, for example, younger people are much less likely to answer their phones and participate in a poll, even if you call them on a the cell phone. Uh, minorities are harder to reach than white voters. Older people have more time on their hands and they um, find participating in the poll more attractive. Uh, people who Uh, our college graduates uh, seem to like to take polls more than people uh, who dropped out of high school. Uh, So those are easy things to correct because there's pretty good data in the US uh, on the demographics of people. Uh, But turns out that's not enough. Um, So uh, campaign polls use a different methodology uh, than most media polls. Um, Most campaign polls are conducted using registered voter lists uh, rather than uh, random digit dialing. They uh, want want
0: more likely voters.
1: You want people who you know are registered. Um, In the US, uh, registered voter turnout ranges between about 85 and 90%. Mm -hmm. So you can do most of the work on getting the right people by talking to registered voters. Mm -hmm. Uh, The one reason why media polls do not use uh, voter registration lists Is about 30% of the people on voter lists do not have phone numbers attached to them Uh, so it means you're missing a chunk right Uh, at one time I found that a convincing argument Uh, that's no longer the case Uh, if you're getting an 8% response rate you're missing 92% of the people Mm -hmm. Um, you'd be better off uh, missing 30% and trying to correct for the difference between um, that group Uh, So campaign polls use much more aggressive um, choices about uh, who's going to participate, limiting themselves to people on voter lists. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on the voter list, you have uh, vote history. That is, did you vote in the 2014 midterm? Did you vote in the 2016 primary? Did you vote in the 2012 election? Uh, They routinely use that to pick uh, an electorate. Um, The next thing that the campaign polls do that's different than the media polls is uh, they either wait on pass vote, which is popular with a number of very good pollsters, uh, or they wait on party ID. Uh, Not party registration because that's not available in half the states, but self-expressed party ID. Uh, Both of those things are anathema um, to most media uh, pollsters. The argument is that party ID is uh, not something that's fixed. It varies over time. You're waiting to an outcome. The response that I've heard from campaign pollsters is, yeah, it's not fixed, but it doesn't move 10 or 15 points in a week. Um, And if you look at recent media polls, you see that the sample composition, it's party ID has moved uh, literally 15 points uh, over the past month. Um, leading one to be very skeptical about the reliability of those results. Uh, Pass vote is another thing. Um, There you do know what it was, Uh, so Modulo, the people who were uh, too young to participate in the 2012 election, we have vote, we know what the numbers were. Um, Shouldn't we be able to weight our samples to 2012 voters? Mm -hmm. Well the problem there is that um, most telephone polls are one-shot affairs. You get a list of phone numbers, you call people up, you ask how they voted. The only way you can ask uh, about 2012 vote is for them to recall that. Um, there have been uh, some discussion of this, a piece by Nate Cohn in the New York Times, some discussion on um, the 538 podcast um, claiming that vote recall is unreliable. Um, I would argue that uh, this, uh, the literature on this uh, is generally not reliable or uh, doesn't actually, um, the the evidence that Nate Cohn put in his New York Times piece actually was not on recall. Uh, If you actually look at recall versus um, vote measured at the time, which you can do if you run a panel, like an internet panel. Uh, we're finding vote recall is quite reliable um, the uh, it's uh, basically urban legend that vote recall is unreliable uh, but then a third approach which is used by internet panels mm-hmm. is to take people uh, and look at what they told us about how they voted in 2012 right uh, so we're not using recall at all um, we're using uh, uh, re- self-reported turnout contemporaneously uh, And the effect of all that this year has actually been to improve Donald Trump's numbers enormously. Uh, The samples that uh, are weighted on recalled vote uh, or 2012 vote reported contemporaneously Mm -hmm. uh, result in estimates that are better for Trump. Um, So I think it's a real issue with the polling this year.
0: Now the Trump campaign has a phrase and they call it undercover voters. Uh, reminds me of that wonderful uh, comedy, Undercover Brother, which is a mock of 70 black exploitation movies, but undercover voters. And these are, in theory, Trump voters who are going to come pouring out of the woodwork on Election Day and put him into office. Uh, Kelly Conway, who is now Trump's campaign manager, I think that's her title, she's a campaign manager, she has her polling firm in New York, and she says they're doing research into this and they're convinced this is going to happen. Uh, were it to be true, though, Doug, would an undercover voter exist because they simply or because they're not telling pollsters what they want to do? Would they exist because, pollers, because pollsters are missing them? How, you know, how, how could that be?
1: Yeah, so every losing candidate believes there are some mysterious uncounted voters out there that I would, are skewing I would, yeah, the I would, public
0: Yeah, I'd actually add to that, having worked for a lot of losing Republican efforts, there are two things. Number one, don't believe the polls. And then second, inevitably put out a bumper sticker saying, you know, upset the media, vote for blank. Yeah. So, those are sort of two, <laughs> two races to go into. The polls are lying, and let's upset the media. Um,
1: so, uh, so Trump points to the fact that uh, turnout in the Republican primaries this year was high. And that um, since he got the most votes in the Republican primaries, it looks like he maybe pulled out some people who don't normally vote in Republican primaries. Mm -hmm. Um, There's very little evidence that he pulled out voters um, that weren't previously registered or didn't vote in general elections. What he did, it appears, is that he attracted um, people who could vote in Republican primaries, that meaning Republicans and independents, uh, to vote who hadn't previously voted in primaries. But these were not new voters, and they are not people who would be, uh, would have uh, stayed home in a general election. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are going to get uh, new voters in general election, the first thing you have to do is register them. That requires some semblance of a ground game, of which the Trump campaign is entirely uh, innocent of. Um, And second, you would need to see registration uh, going up and it should be disproportionately Republican registration or uh, decline to state independent registration. We're seeing none of those things. Uh, so I think the uh, the uh, missing voters or the the phantom voters for the Trump campaign will remain phantoms on election day.
0: And there's really no way to change methodology to try to push or dig deeper to try to find hidden reluctant slash undercover slash
1: going to surprise you Well, worse. so uh, I can assure you that the Clinton campaign <laughs> right. uh, is tracking voter registrations very carefully uh, and measuring uh, whether the new registrants uh, are uh, uh, anti-Clinton uh, and pro-Trump, mm-hmm. um, whether the Trump campaign has anything equivalent to that, uh, at least for, it looks unlikely at the moment.
0: Okay. Uh, let's get back to, again, how polls are done. So you've, you've talked about a bit about how you look at the sample itself. What about the methodology, the writing of the questions? What, what do you look for there?
1: Yeah, so question writing is more art than science.
0: It's more art than mm-hmm. science, and there are little subtle ways in which you can move polls a few points, depending on how you ask the question. Yes. And not, and not do you still beat your wife or anything like right. that, but there are just ways to drive people to conclusions. So yeah,
1: so the push poll right. you had obviously had a lot of had a Editorializing and so an independent nonpartisan pollster resists any sort of editorial slant. Second thing we do is we randomize um, the order of questions and the order of responses and questions. Uh, So we don't always put, um, uh, you know, are you going to vote for Clinton, Trump, or someone else? We'll uh, randomly ask some people, are you going to vote for Trump or Clinton? Uh, Because there are a little, very small, but um, there are very tiny order effects um, on something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, On opinion questions, the order effects are huge. Um, Most people are not thinking about politics most of the time. Mm -hmm. So if you ask them, um, do you think X, Um, and you're calling them, uh, the inclination of most people is to agree. Uh, That's being polite, and uh, if you really don't have an opinion, it's easier to agree. Right. Another thing that you do is you take the first response that sounds reasonable or if someone's reading to you a set of responses, which is what happens in a um, poll that's a live interviewer or an IBR poll, you take the last response. Um, so there are a lot of little things about how the questionnaire is constructed that can change the results. Uh, When we see big discrepancies between results, so we saw fairly large ones when Trump proposed uh, banning Muslims from immigrating. Mm -hmm. Um, It made a difference how you asked it. So uh, we tried to quote Trump exactly. uh, And what he said, as best I can recall, uh, was that a total and complete ban on Muslim immigration. If you stop there, you got a lot of people saying, that sounds a little extreme. But in fact, he followed it up with the line, "Until the government gets a hold on what's going on, and you know, saying, you know, let's let's stop for a moment." That sounds a little more reasonable. Um, so you can move that response by ten or fifteen points by exactly what you quote from him.
0: Right um, now, right now, we're in the middle of what can best be called a feeding frenzy regarding Hillary Clinton and her health condition in her condition of her campaign, and her handling of her health condition, so on and so forth. Let's say you're doing a poll, Doug, and the poll, let's say the poll tracks for four or five days. Do you want to go in the field right when the story breaks? Do you want to wait 24, 48, 72 hours? What's the best way for, since polls are the cliché, the poll's a snapshot, yeah. what's the best way to capture the snapshot since you have a story which still unfolds, still gets talked about, but does cool off as you get further away from the incident itself?
1: Uh, well of course I want to poll immediately thereafter and another poll the next day and another one the following day Uh, in fact I uh, I would like to have elections every year Um, but for the sake of uh, normal people um, there are some effects so when a story first breaks uh, people are responding without seeing how it's been framed Um, and it's very interesting actually to see how those changes occur Um, so uh, and the, the Clinton health story is gonna be a very interesting one that way. Um, the, uh, y- you know, how it gets framed, is it, is it about um, secrecy, uh, which would uh, reflect badly on Clinton? Is it about uh, uh, you know, she was sick and she right. tried, but felt the duty to go to the 9-11 memorial, um, which would draw some sympathy? Um, how will Trump play this? Uh, so I think that's one where you can get a bit of change over time. The second thing, though, is in the world we live in, as polarized as it is, um, it's amazing how people uh, will interpret this based not on the specifics of the situation, but how they think about the candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually ran a, a poll uh, a few weeks ago um, where we tried to ask an objective question. Who is older, Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump? Um, now, uh, that's I didn't a, that's, a,
0: that's a great question. I know exactly what you're getting at because he is a year older than her, uh, yet she's the one of the health issues. And also, there's probably a little bit of a gender issue as to who looks closer to their age.
1: So, Republicans. Uh, I think by about a 20 point margin uh, thought that Clinton is older than Trump. Um, Democrats by a smaller margin thought Trump was older than Clinton. Right. Uh, so the information obviously a lot of people were guessing they're about the same age, um, but it was colored by their prior beliefs. I'd like beliefs. to see the gender breakdown on
0: that sample yeah. to see how women and men voted on mm-hmm. that. Um, so Looking at polls right now, there are polls. So there are individual polls, Doug. There are at least, well, let's see, So, RCP, 538, Pollster, they all do polling averages. Uh, the Princeton Election Consortium, I think, does an average of state polls. So would you encourage people to, would you drive them toward the averages, or would you keep them on the individual polls?
1: Well, the averages are going to be less noisy than right. individual polls. Right. Uh, particularly state-level polls, a lot of them are five or 600 Uh, people in the sample. Um, So it's easy for that sample to bounce around by you know five or six points just due to sampling variability and then when you take other biases into effect um, you know seven or eight point differences uh, are to be expected. Um, The problem with the averages, uh, they definitely um, serve a positive purpose uh, but the problem with the averages is, is they don't correct at all for the composition of the polls. Mm-hmm. Um, they attempt to do some sort of rating of the polls and weight ones that they think are better right. uh, more than ones they think are worse. Um, but their ratings are uh, not uh, particularly effective. Uh, they're not predictive of which poles are going to be better. Um, so I wouldn't uh, pay much attention to that. Right. Uh, what we saw in 2012 was a huge debate bounce because most of the polls were not properly correcting their sample composition. Right. And you would have done better by paying attention to the online panels uh, that didn't show such wild variations. Yeah.
0: It's funny. Back in the 1980s, Doug, um, political reporters had sort of a struggle with their conscience, if you will. It was especially true after the 88 campaign, reporters felt guilty for Gary Hart. He thought, should we have really gone into his personal life? Should we have driven him out of the election? And there were discussions back and forth. Uh, okay, you know, he begged us to go looking, you know, you know, take a look. He'll be bored, he famously said. Others said, well, it doesn't really matter what goes on in his bedroom. He's running for a public office. Let's focus on the issues. They gathered at Harvard that year, and they had a long conversation about how they covered politics. And they decided, well, for God's sakes, we're not going to get caught up in the horse race again. And then, sure enough, about a week after their <laughs> conference, who's ahead? <laughs> And this is a gripe I would have of political polling as well, that pollsters probably get together and one of the first things they say is we've got to be more serious about how we do our business and focus more on issues and the health of the country, blah, blah, blah. But it's driven in large part by horse racing. Uh, A shout out to what you do in this respect. Um, There's been a lot of talk in the past week about Hillary Clinton's comment about basket of deplorables, in which she said that half of Donald Trump supporters and she likened them to the worst things, including racist. But I beg the question of, has anybody actually polled Americans to see how many Americans are racist? Now, I don't know how you do a poll exactly Mm -hmm. saying, are you Doug Rivers a racist? Yes or no? Please check what you're not going to say yes. But you guys, Economist YouGov, did do a poll in which you looked at race relations.
1: Yeah, so um, asking someone whether they're racist or not is uh, not the best methodology. it is surprising the extent to which uh, people will uh, tell you things that uh, seem flagrantly racist. Uh, a few percent of the people, when we ask them to say what they dislike about Obama will use the N-word and mm-hmm. they're not embarrassed about it. Um, but it's a few percent, it's not uh, not 20 or 25% of, of the electorate. Right. Uh, we try to measure things um, uh, unobtrusively. Um, So, uh, there are a variety of approaches, um, you know, trying to soften around the edges uh, what it is. Um, There are some clever techniques. Uh, One thing is list experiments, where um, you ask people uh, to say how many people on a list uh, they uh, like or dislike. and they don't even have to tell you who it is on that list, but you vary the number of people with various characteristics. So that's, that's right. an approach political scientists have come up with, trying to measure uh, things that are socially undesirable.
0: Right. There are shorthand complaints in politics. The candidates mm-hmm. don't talk about issues. Uh, the press are now complaining about the press being too obsessed about our health and not focusing on issues. Is polling also part of the problem here at pollsters not focus enough on issues? In other words, we see poll numbers ad nauseum on who's up and who's down. But is there enough information flowing out there about what are the top three concerns of Americans or looking inside an issue like race or economic growth or what have you and actually breaking down the issue?
1: Yeah, so the first thing is I, I think... The price of admission to being taken seriously as a pollster is the ability to get something like an election right. right. So the people who say we're not going to do elections, we're just going to give you opinions, why should you trust their numbers on opinions if they don't have the guts to put out their numbers on the election outcome? Right. Um, it is the case that you know, poll aggregation and knowing who's winning probably distracts people a bit from uh, policy uh, concerns. But in defense of polling, uh, one of the examples I would give is the polling on gay marriage. Uh, gay marriage would have been untouchable uh, a decade ago. Uh, you know, Barack Obama ran for president being opposed to gay marriage. Over the course of a very short interval, you saw a big movement um, in terms of support for gay marriage. And we never would have known about that if it hadn't been uh, through polling. Um, so there was a case where polling gave uh, elected officials a better idea of what was going on mm-hmm. uh, than they would have had in a pre-polling era. Uh, if, if you think back to like uh, FDR deciding whether to get involved in the Second World War, uh, he was convinced that uh, people were extremely negative on U.S. involvement. Um, do we know that was true? There actually wasn't much polling at that point on that. Uh, and it might have given a very different uh, result. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing depends on how you feel democracy should work. Um, but I think lots of very valuable policy information is coming through polling these days.
0: What are the top three issues for the polls? For what you see in the YouGov Economist sample, what are the top three? The, the issues
1: talks. for voters? Or, uh-huh. Yeah, so let me, let
0: me go, okay. Terrorism slash national security is gonna be in the top three.
1: Depends on how you ask about it.
0: Okay. The economy?
1: The economy is always number one. Okay. Um, Unless there is a hot war going, uh, the economy is going to be the top issue for people.
0: All right. What's number two then?
1: Um, So, uh, after the economy, uh, the thing that we see for, you know, a big block of voters are what you would call social issues. Mm -hmm. And then after that? After that is terrorism.
0: Terrorism. So those, those are sort of the big three? Yeah. or
1: Yeah. So health care is not in the top three at the moment. It has been in the past. Right. Um, various kinds of bu- budget issues are occasionally, such as Social Security or the budget deficit. Um, but those frequently just sort of get su- subsumed under the economy.
0: And what are the two or three most disproportionate issues? And by that, I mean issues that are given the most lip service but actually pull the weakest, according to vote.
1: Yeah, so foreign policy generally, uh, uh, people pay less attention to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Education and the environment typically are quite low in terms of people telling us they're important to them. Um, Abortion usually is... uh, So if you take social issues as a group, there's a set of voters out there that care deeply about them. Individually, they don't um, score that well, but if you put them together... Uh, because the people who care about one tend to care about the other. you know. So it's gun control, abortion, gay marriage, the death penalty. Th- those things sort of together. There's a core of the electorate that you can guess who they're voting for, who uh, uh, they move people.
0: And do you think voters know, voters tell you what the three most important issues are, but could voters tell you that they know what the three most important issues are in the American voters' minds? Um,
1: this gets back to the question yeah, of so the s- Yeah, so important. Self reported importance is not that great a predictor of what actually moves people. Uh, so people respond to the economy. A bad economy moves lots of people. Uh, but people always say they care about the economy, even when re- it's a year like this, where the economy is sort of a, maybe a slight edge to the Democrats or a wash. Um, the things people tell you are important. Um, Turn out to be less consequential than their sort of long-standing ties to one party or the other. Uh, we have an electorate now where 80% of the voters are pretty much, uh, as Donald Trump said, he could go shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and it wouldn't move them. Uh, they're going to, you know, there's are a set of people who, as much as they have questions about Trump, right. there's no chance they're going to vote for Clinton, and. You know, essentially none of the Democratic primary voters, almost none, are switching.
0: These are people I get on my Twitter feed with the hashtag with their name and deplorable in front of their name. <laughs> so deplorable Doug, deplorable Ed, and so forth. So, yeah, you're right there, Doug. And let's close out with this final question, Doug. Um, give me the idea of two or three fixes that you think need to be done to the polling business before we get to the 2020 cycle.
1: Well, so the, the first thing is the day of t- Telephone polling uh, should be coming to an end. People just aren't answering the telephones to take polls. They don't want to do it. Um, and it's the way a lot of pollsters know how to conduct polls. And we need a substitute for that.
0: Just to clarify, is that is that a function of people just aren't answering their landlines anymore? Or is it because of caller ID, people hear that 800 number or that company number, and they don't want to pick up, or is it, is it all the above?
1: So landline phones, You know, a third of the people no longer have landline phones. Right. Uh, There are legal restrictions on dialing in the cell phones, but the top pollsters, good pollsters doing phone polling, um, are bearing the expense of calling into cell phones, which must be Mm hand-dialed. But the fact of the matter is people do not want to, the bulk of the people, uh, large majority, don't want to take polls uh, on their phones. Uh, So you you need an alternative approach. Um, and that means that people have to start taking seriously that uh, we need ways other than randomly picking phone numbers as a way of getting samples that are adequate. And that's where the polling industry is in denial at the moment.
0: Okay. So that's one fix, how to get over the phone situation. Yeah. What about the frequency of polls? Do we, need, do we need more polls or fewer polls? Do we need them more spaced out? Do we need them less hyperbolic? How How do we change the blend?
1: Um, so it used to be that newspapers would re- sponsor a poll, and they'd report that poll, and that would be it. Right. Um, and the, the good thing that the aggregators have done, Nate Silver and uh, more people, has been to say, uh, that's insane. Right. Uh, there are a whole bunch of polls going, and we should average them. And the fact that one you 600-person know, poll gives a screwy result shouldn't generate a story. Yeah, I, mean, I mean,
0: you have a challenge here, and that polling is now in the era of Drudge. And so you do a random poll, and it shows some wild result. You're going to send it to Drudge, and especially if yeah. it's going to show Trump at the lead, he's going to put a big banner on it saying, shock poll.
1: Yeah, so you, you haven't had a candidate who is as personally interested in poll results and is uh, promoting them and criticizing them as Donald Trump. So I guess as a uh, practicing member of the industry, I should uh, – appreciate that but um, in fact I think the harm done by this is much less uh, uh, but uh, the reporting of polls I think has gotten better uh, because of the efforts of the aggregators Um, so uh, and more of that is better Uh, the era of uh, the standalone poll with the weird result getting a lot of attention I think that's gone down Um, so when the first poll that came out a few weeks ago, showing Trump ahead by a couple points. I think it was a CNN ORC poll. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most people sort of held off, uh, but in fact, it was uh, considerable movement across the board and polls moving in Trump's direction. Uh, so I think that was working, uh, uh, and that's a good thing, in my opinion.
0: Got a three word fix Trump Polling Incorporated. If you don't like polls, do one yourself.
1: Well, the most offensive thing about Trump was for so long he didn't even have a pollster, which uh, hurt my feelings. You're saying you're available? Uh, I didn't volunteer, but I, I thought at least he should have somebody. Uh, he did manage to get Kellyanne Conway.
0: He did. He definitely did. Doug Rivers, thanks for sitting in today. Enjoyed the conversation. You've been listening to The Pole Position, a Hoover Institution podcast. For more information about the Hoover Institution, please visit our website. That's www.hoover.org. And while you're there, I encourage you to sign up for The Daily Report. It provides you with the best of what Hoover offers, studies, analyses, commentaries from the likes of Doug Rivers, all conveniently sent to your inbox five days a week. And you can also find the Hoover Institution on Twitter, and the Twitter handle is at Hooverinst, at Hooverinst. For the Hoover Institution, this is Bill Whalen. Thanks for sitting in with us today. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more research by our fellows on the 2016 election, please visit hoover.org slash decision 2016. For more podcasts from Hoover, please visit hoover.org or Hoover's channels on
1: iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. I'm Chris Dower for the Hoover Institution. Thanks for listening.